everybody, welcome to another exciting and scintillating and fun-filled episode. I always say that it is fun-filled, but I guess it's all relative. Of the OIG Roundtable, the full group is here. Wade McFall, retired assistant special agent in charge from the LA field office, a manager on our uh, SIU investigative team. Uh, Jason Eisengrind, retired senior executive from HHS OIG, the retired Western UPIC director and our special director in charge on special projects. And Makachansky, Jason's counterpart from HHS OIG, the Northeast UPIC director and one of our senior managers on our investigative team. Uh, and I am still Eric Rubenstein, senior director of litigation, fraud, waste and abuse here. So today we want to talk about a few things that are really intersections on the SIU, the UPICs, just general investigative things. You know, and first and foremost, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that our clients really benefit from um, both our uh, provider clients, our payer clients, um, and also our, our third group, which is our uh, law firm clients, is the deep expertise that we bring as, uh, as retired OIG people and the level of knowledge that we have uh, about OIG operations and process, which is not something that a lot of consulting companies have, where we can kind of peel back that investigative onion uh, and attack potentially the investigations that are going on and the like. Um, and then, you know, you throw in that added piece of the fact that Jason and Matt ran two of the five UPICs and have really intricate inside information and understanding of how the UPIC model works, the intersection of the UPICs with the MAX, the intersection of the UPICs and the OIG, the processes and the procedures that are in place, which are really unparalleled. At the end of the day, Jason and Matt were one of only five people in the country that ran that. You know, while there were a lot of UPIC directors, uh, uh, SIU managers and, and the like, there were only five UPIC directors who were really the tip of the spear for fraud. And so, you know, we take that, uh, we take that expertise and we really do bring that out and then bring that back into our conversations regarding SIU operations and the like. And so today we want to spend some time uh, talking um, sort of in anticipation of our LinkedIn Live for February. Our LinkedIn Live for February is going to be on uh, weak leads and weak leads uh, triggering weak cases and, and like. And so we want to kind of do something from a little bit of a perspective of, of a primer on that. And, you know, I want to start with you, Wade, because, you know, this is an important piece of the puzzle. Uh, poor leads, weak leads, low dollar leads are all factors that work against the ability of the payment integrity group, the SIU, and the program integrity people to be able to capitalize on return on investment, proper use of resources, and the like. And so, you know, let's talk originally from the OIG perspective. Um, you know, UPICs would send one of their requirements. The UPIC requirement is to generate referrals to the OIG. And oftentimes, those are weak leads. Uh, and, you know, Jason and Matt know that oftentimes cases that get sent over to the OIG for review and vetting are rejected because they're just not, it's not a good case. It's either a low dollar amount, the beneficiary interviews aren't that good. And so let's talk a little bit about like, you know, from the OIG perspective, when we talk, we've talked about this in regards to uh, things like office priorities, investigative priorities, U.S. attorney office priorities. It's a little bit different in the than in the SIU space, right? But, but you know, clearly, you know, this whole premise of the law enforcement liaison does really cross over that, you know, at the OIG, we were not shy about rejecting cases because there was something bad about the case. And bad doesn't mean it didn't have good facts. 
It was just something weak about that case. So let's talk about, from the OIG perspective, some of the things that you would be looking at as an agent, a supervisor. And then we're going to move that conversation into today, you know, like these low dollar cases and working them. Yeah, well, we had a lot of opportunities when we had leads come in to um, we didn't necessarily just close them out if they didn't meet like our guidelines. And that was one of the key things that that I was able to use is I could say it doesn't meet the office guideline. And we didn't have to really further um, define that, but we had certain standards and it was different for each region. But in L.A., we had a certain threshold as far as um, financial loss that we would look at. Other things we've talked about this before, but if there's patient harm or you know, you look at the egregiousness of the the uh, details of the referral, those things all come kind of into account. So if you had, you know, just for example, if you had 10 agents and you look at their caseload and their cases, just look at the financial side of it, their cases are worth, you know, $10 million, $3 million down to like a million. If I get a referral in for fifty thousand dollars, it's it's just not going to get opened. It's it's a matter of resources, so it's not going to get opened. So then it's up to me to decide what to do with it. Does it go to, you know, is there a, is there a Medicaid um, portion where we could refer it to the Mufuku? Could we have somebody uh, another one of our offices? You know, in in Vegas, for example, we didn't have the type of case that we did in Los Angeles. So. If we had an agent in Vegas who had a lighter caseload, we could have them work it as long as there was some nexus to the LA region or the Central District of California region. And that could be one patient or, you know, we didn't have to have a large portion, but so we had opportunities to not open those cases in Los Angeles, but we had a lot of opportunities to do something else with them. And worst case scenario, we would send it back to the U pick or the Z pick and say it doesn't meet our guidelines at this point. Can you further develop it and see if you can come up with more? So we we didn't. It was rare for us just to close, like do an open and close and and not do anything with it. Although that would happen from time to time, but generally we had other avenues where we could send things to to get them worked, as opposed to the SIU world where it's it's it seems to me that it's really strictly limited to. ROI, so we don't have those other things to deal with, although I, I think if there was patient harm, that's going to ratchet it up a bit. But if you're looking at um, assigning these cases with ROI in the back of your mind to, to assign cases that are worth, you know, under $2,000, I've seen cases that are being worked for $1,700 for like $8,600 you know, $7,400. It's like a lot of times those cases take just as much time and resources to work because you're going through the same processes. You're writing the same letters. You're having the same conversations with the provider's attorney. And, and at best, you're going to get $1,700 back. It's just not worth the time and effort. And, and frankly, you're not even going to get $1,700 back because you get 50 cents on the dollar, maybe 70 cents on the dollar. So you're looking at a case that's being worked for $1,000 at, at best, what will be returned. And, and I'll probably eat that up or the whoever's working the case would eat that up in their their wages in the amount of time you have to spend on. So there really has to be, I, I get it that they have certain things that the state requires, but you really have to step back and look at it and just 
you have to come up with another like we used to use does not meet off office guidelines. You have to have a reason to say we're not investing resources into this. We can't afford it. If you want us to invest these resources, we need a bigger budget because we just can't do it. Yeah, and that's an you know that's an important point. So when you're you know when you're getting cases that are two thousand, three thousand dollars, I think you know the important piece is that the cost of investigating a two thousand dollar case, cost meaning the time that you're investing, the opportunity cost if you're investigating this case, you're not investigating a larger case, is the same. You know, for a large portion of this, the effort. And the time requirement for a $2,000 or $3,000 case could be the same as a million dollar case. And so the question becomes, is there a policy or a plan in place that um, that the SIU has, the payment integrity team has on cases that are below a certain dollar amount, just sort of, you know, generally anything below $5,000 or $3,000, whatever that number is, <clears throat> that anything below that number is just handled in some administrative fashion an overpayment, an education letter, an admonishment letter with education, something to just say this isn't worth it. Because I think you're right, a $1,700 case at the end of the day could be six or $700 after a negotiation of 50 or 60 cents on the dollar. Is it better to just provide an education letter to the provider with a warning, admonishment, and then just kind of be done with it and say the cost of this isn't, you know, the price of the paper and the stamp isn't worth the time to, to do this as, as anything else. So there really has to be a, a level where, you know, you're, you're doing that. And I think from, from, from a leadership perspective, you're almost setting people up for failure. If you've, if you've given someone a bunch of, you know, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts as, as someone named Jason Eisenbrein would say, if it's death by a thousand paper cuts, you know, someone who's got three or four cases worth a hundred thousand dollars is going to on their face appear to be a more successful investigator than someone who's got 10 $1,000 cases. The success level really is going to be, you know, potentially the same or that one investigator could be way more successful in the aggregate. But talking about dollars, it, you know, it's a, it's a challenge. At some point you have to say, you know, I got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. It's not worth keeping a $1,000 case that's not going to result in a $1,000 you know, that's our payment. So Matt, I want to go to you because then this becomes kind of that, that piece of that is that, you know, a lot of times when those cases wind up going to the investigator, it's based upon um, reactive complaints or something like that. And, and we know from dealing with some of our SIU clients, the reason why we're there and some of our consulting and advisory work is because some of the SIU plans that we're dealing with have analytics tools that are generating all of these leads and they can't work on those leads. And previously, before they got a data analytics tool or are using us for their data analytics, before that occurred, they were really just working on reactive cases. And so there has to be this balance and this shift from just always being reactive to being proactive, but that also comes with being able to generate good leads based upon an understanding of the data and the policies. Correct. Absolutely correct. I mean, you know, we are working with, you know, with some plans right now that are transitioning to that type of of process where the percentage of leads from complaints and or other outside sources is declining because they are now focusing on their own 
data analytics tool and learning how to use it, learning how to call the best potential cases from that with high ROI uh, as one of the one of the factors. And then that's allowing them to handle the reactive ones, the low dollar, the single member complaint uh, type of thing in the ways you're talking about. Send an education letter, send an admonishment letter, and then put that aside for six months, a year. Then maybe go back and check using your analytics tool. Did their billing pattern change? Has it increased? Because then you might have a better case of ROIs a little higher, plus you've got the possibility of intent because they were notified that what they were doing was wrong and they've continued it. So it's the the source of the complaints is is the main factor in how how to gate how to control the quality. If you're just reactive taking everything in and trying to spit it back out and you've got you know a hundred leads going out and just because a hundred possible leads came in but they don't amount to anything versus as you said you know, 10 leads that are good, it's always quality over quantity when you want to get to a good ROI and an effective SIU. Otherwise, they're, you know, they're they're juggling junk. And well, so part of that discussion then becomes that if you are a smaller SIU that doesn't have a data analytics tool and you're just being reactive for the most part, that you have to be careful what you wish for. Because if you do decide to bring in a data analytics tool that will generate leads, you're going to be overwhelmed very quickly. So, you know, we are in the process of getting ready to help a plan that was exactly that, a very, very small plan, just a couple of investigators, and they their investigators are spending nearly all of their time on reactive leads that were generated from complaints. They've now brought in a data analytics vendor, and that data analytics vendor is now generating an inordinate number of leads because they're actually looking at data. The problem is the plan wasn't prepared for that. And so the plan ran into a problem where they were generating all of these fraud waste abuse leads. You don't know if they're actionable. You don't know if they're not actionable. What you do know is that you've now got a whole bunch of things coming in that you weren't prepared to deal with. You know, one of the things that we're doing is we're going to be helping them with their, with their kind of their lead vetting. Um, you know, complaint team or whatever it may be to help them understand where good leads are and where bad leads are because they've never experienced this. So it's like it's like a double-edged sword. You know, you you get you get hopefully quality leads through data-driven findings, um, but you've got to understand like you know the data is the data. And I know when I say this, Jason loses mind. The data lies. And having an understanding of the policies and understanding of those things to understand if there's more that needs to be there is, is definitely part of that. So, Jason, I want to go to you now because the, you know, when you start to talk about this, it becomes payment integrity uh, process improvement 101. That when the weeds of the world are investigating cases that are given to him that are $1,000, from a process perspective, and a process improvement perspective and an ROI perspective, it seems to me like we'd be better off just putting Wade on a wheel and just let him run around like a mouse for eight hours because investigating a thousand dollar case has gotten you nowhere. And so from a process improvement and ROI and from a, you know, kind of working as a well-oiled machine perspective, it seems to me 
that there should be some internal metrics on where cases should be vetted more or closed or investigated based upon at the minimum, sometimes that dollar amount. Well, you've all covered the concept of return on investment really well, and that's clearly what an organization wants, right? A return on investment. The, the question about how to get there has to do with resource management. And I think way too often, um, especially nowadays where there, you know, managers are are presented with a lot of different challenges. I mean, the staffing a workplace today is nothing like it was, uh, you know, in the past. So uh, sometimes the investigators are almost treated like independent subcontractors. And I don't mean that in the official contract, official contractual manner, but just like they're, you know, assigned investigations or maybe they're even generating their own investigations and then left to their own design. What I will say is that the, it, for those that are um, very much interested in investigations, they rarely want to let that go. It's like a dog with a bone. You know, there could be nothing left on it. My dogs will take that bone and they'll gnaw on it, gnaw on it forever. So it's about managers and supervisors stepping in to first evaluate the investigation early on. Make sure that the investigative plan fits the the nature of the vulnerability that they're looking at. What do you expect to get out of it? You know, is there a quantitative uh assessment of what that vulnerability could uh, present. Are there any special circumstances that, you know, Wade mentioned uh, certainly like member harm, patient harm type of situation, but then there has to be routine reevaluations of that. So whether you conduct file reviews on, you know, a time period or whatever else, you know, it, it has to be something that's ongoing because the worst thing is when you look at something after six months or eight months and realize, well, wait a minute, this really was something we should have closed after one month. And we've, you know, weren't able to confirm certain factors that would be really important to confirm if we're going to pursue this to a, um, uh, a return on investment as opposed to just closing it out and moving on. So w one of the other things I'll just offer uh, and then uh, be done is that it's about um, basically assessing the ability of the each investigator because not everyone needs a fire review every 60 days potentially. I mean, I think that's a good time period to take at least take a look at something. But I'll say that by way of example, shortly after indoor plumbing came to the federal building in New York and I had a fledgling investigator uh, and I looked at his uh, his uh, um, uh, sheet of investigations and there were like 30 something investigations on it and it's like oh my gosh you know it it, it maybe 10 or 12 for a, a, especially for a new investigator but that investigator was what i would call a blue flamer and the person everything was documented it was all moving in the right direction congratulations eric and you know <laughs> the point is is that so in the in the world of of um uh, managing and supervising uh, uh, medical reviewers is a concept that I like. Uh, it's called inter-rater reliability, where, you know, the same amount 
of quality assessment doesn't have to be applied to everyone. And so a good manager supervisor is assessing what level of of intervention is needed to make sure that the investigations are running the right course. Yeah, so uh, thanks for highlighting that I have such a high caseload. Uh, but, you know, there is something to be said, right? So it's it's all going to be predicated upon what other factors are there. Um, you know, are you working a lot of cases that are in different states of prosecution, resolution, and what have you, and the, the resource allocation can shift you know, as as that as that kind of morphs. But Matt, I want to go to you for the kind of the final piece of this, which is that from a little bit of a of a vetting process improvement caseload is the prospect of finding money in a budget to hire a low level resource or a lower level resource to to maybe maybe a newer person that you're training to ultimately become an investigator, but starts off as kind of an investigative analyst where you're teaching them what in the healthcare space you're teaching them about CPT codes, HCPCS codes, um, you know, DRGs, ICD-10s, all of that, and you're teaching them how to understand the data, you know, not as an expert but as a working professional, where that lower-level resource becomes trained to understand what potential exposure is there, what loss amounts are there, and you know, kind of works in an adjunct capacity. Uh, consulting with investigators and leaders, but really is a lower level resource to help be the beginning of the funnel. Yes, that's a, it is a absolutely necessary component for a, a full SIU is to have someone that can take on those low level cases where the outcomes are going to be administrative such as letters of admonishment or education that can call through those complaints and and figure out the best way to resolve them as quickly as they can so that you're putting the the right resources to the right cases and then as they grow then they can also help with the investigative process help with member interviews help uh transcript you know help write the interview reports take some of that burden off the investigators while at the same time learning how to conduct a full investigation so that they you know they can progress in their own individual careers while they're also giving a you know a, an incredible resource to the SIU to hit to and in, in you know using Jason's things you know managing those resources correctly having a you know having a hierarchy of investigative resources to match the hierarchy of cases and the complexity and the and the priority given to them is absolutely essential for success. You know, and you could theoretically look at the, the prospect of hiring two investigative analysts at the cost of one SIU yeah. investigator, right? You yep. get those people where, you know, when when a when a case for three thousand dollars comes in, Wade could say, Yeah, that's a three thousand dollar case. It goes to the analyst, and the analyst just goes in, a letter goes to the provider, we're aware of this, you're an outlier, here's why you're an outlier. $3,000, thank you very much, have a good day. And then, you know, that that's allowing an investigator such as Wade to just focus on the larger dollar cases. It lets the smaller dollar cases still be addressed, right? Because you're not ignoring them. If the person's an outlier, there should be some admonishment that comes with that outlier status. And then, you know, granted, there may be an appeal, there may be this or that, but that's why, you know, sometimes on these very low dollar cases, it may be worth doing a knock it off letter. Right. 
uh, you know, hey, we're aware of this. Uh, we're going to be monitoring your claims and, you know, rethink this. Uh, you know, and, and the other piece of that puzzle is, is that $1,700 death by a thousand paper cuts? Is it one claim that's $1,700 for some esoteric code that no one else bills? Or are we talking about $1,700 comprising, you know, uh, you know, hundreds of $3 vena punctures, right? I mean, like, you know, where, where does it lie? And that, and that really can ostensibly be the difference in operationally the success of an investigator. You know, Wade spending his time working 50, 60, $100,000 cases is going to get you a better return on investment than constantly just, you know, $1,000 here, $1,000 there. You just never, you spend your time in, in ways that just don't, that don't necessarily get you the best ROI. We'd have a separate conversation about the level of morale that that starts to affect when you're working a lot of, you know, dogs. I mean, you know, at, at the OIG, if you had a caseload of barking dogs, right, really bad cases, people weren't staying at the agency if their entire caseload was predicated on, I've got 30 good cases versus I've got 30 really bad cases. You know, when when Jason's referencing, when I had a caseload of 30, I'd been an agent for about 18 months and we had an inspection. And I'll never forget, there was a fellow who was on the inspection team who sat with me and said, you've been an agent for a year and a half. You have the highest caseload of any agent in the country. And I can't believe that they're all moving. And my response was, yeah. And when those stats start coming in, I'm going to be golden. And that was true because I managed to work a caseload of decent dollar cases. All of them were moving. None of them were barking dogs. And it kept me engaged and it kept me, it kept me you know, interested. And that's, that's an important piece, right? The day-to-day -day is a lot of times in the SIU space, it's Groundhog Day. It's kind of, you know, the same thing. So keeping people engaged with, with cases that are relevant and that matter uh, works towards ensuring that the person that's working them stays in your organization. I can't tell you how many resumes we look at for positions we have here where people are leaving every two years from one place to another. Um, and that may be good in some regards, but it may not be so great in, in other regards. So, you know, managing good leads and ensuring that your leads aren't weak. Uh, everybody should have the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross leads. And if you don't know Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you should watch that movie because that's talking about strong leads versus weak leads. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll, it's going to be great to hear what uh, Anthony and Dan have to say at the LinkedIn Live in February on this expansion of the topic. So as always, guys, we could talk about these things for hours and hours. So I appreciate all of your perspectives and your uh, introspective approaches to this. As always, we appreciate everybody taking time out of their day to listen or watch our podcast. We appreciate you spending the time with us to do that. Again, if you're not getting our newsletter, you can go to our website, sign up for it right on the splash page. You can also send us an email at hello at advise, A-D-V-I-Z-E, health.com. You can get our newsletter right to your inbox every week, which has a link to our LinkedIn lives that have been done previously, as well as the weekly OIG roundtables. You can also see our prior OIG roundtables from our YouTube channel. Just type in Advice Health or OIG Roundtable. You'll find it. Uh, look for the next LinkedIn Live in February. We'll be putting out the flyer on that for you to sign up to talk about your leads. Or your leads are weak will be the topic of that LinkedIn Live. And again, if anybody has any ideas or topics that you'd like us to talk about from the OIG uh, and greater SIU perspective, feel free to let us know. With that, we thank you again for tuning in to this week's OIG Roundtable, and we'll see you on the next episode.